Well, good morning, 1030 people. I am Talbot Davis. I'm the pastor here. A lot of you are here live and others of you are live stream and some of you are live streaming to see if it's going to be worth it to come live and, and for, I give a special welcome to you all because I know that happens a lot. However you're engaging, I'm really glad that you are here today. We are in the second series, a second, second message same series, The Promise of Christmas. The series began last week. It talked about promise made. Today's message is called Promise Delayed. And if you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to locate your Bible, in your Bible, the book of Numbers, the Old Testament book of Numbers, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, the fourth book in the Bible, Numbers chapter 20, and verses 2 through 12. And maybe your Bible looks like mine. It looks like a book. Or maybe it's on your phone. Either way, locate Numbers chapter 20. Uh, and if you don't have either of those options available to you, the good news is the words are going to be up on the screen at just the right time because we've worked all that out. And it almost always works out. At Good Shepherd, we think it's really vital that you see the scripture for yourself because there's a couple things we believe about it. Like, like one of the things is, is that even though what I'm holding looks suspiciously like a book, it's been defined as the good book. It's not a book. It's not the good book. It's the great library, a collection of a lot of books written by a lot of authors over a long span of time. The book of Numbers is in the history section of the Old Testament. We're going to be reading about events that happened about 3,500 years ago. And that's a fact that a lot of people don't know. Not book is library. The other thing that we believe in leadership here is something that, that you may still be wrestling with and that's okay, or, or you may all already have settled on it. And, and when you hear what I'm going to say, you're going to be like, thank you for being clear. However, you, wherever you fall there, we, we do like to be clear. And it's in leadership. We believe the deep conviction that God, there's no other library like it. God <sighs> breathed his life into its words. He put his truth onto its pages. The Bible is inspired and eternal and true. And out of that conviction comes this custom that when we talk about the Bible together, we lift it up. And you may never have been here before, may never have seen, or you may have been here a few times and you still think this is a little unusual. Well, so do we. But we just have come to realize this is a moment of oddity that shapes our identity as a community because we're a collection of people who don't have life figured out very well. And most of us have discovered that going our own way led nowhere fast. And so we've decided to surrender to his way because his way is truth and is life. Amen? Amen? And before I say anything else, do anything else, let's pray. So Father, thank you for, the, for breathing life into ancient words in the book of Numbers. And I pray that you would breathe life into what I have to say this morning and and I just acknowledge with great joy, I am powerless without you. But because of you, I'm never helpless. You have sent the helper, the Holy Spirit, for such a time as this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we are getting ready on the second Sunday of the promise of Christmas, we are getting ready to look at the least Christmassy story possible. And from it, we're going to draw the most Christmassy message ever. Isn't that great? 
We're going to look at a story that has nothing to do with shepherds and angels and stars and a baby, although maybe there's a hero who's acting like a baby in the story. And what we're going to draw from this story has everything to do with this season of waiting in, the, in, the, in what we call Advent, as we get ready for Christmas, this whole season in church land where we're waiting for Christmas, we're waiting for the Messiah. We're, what we're going to learn from, from this story today that has nothing to do with Christmas has everything to do with waiting and how we respond to it. Because here's what's going on. We're in the book of Numbers, as you're going to see in just a minute. Nobody preaches from Numbers in December, at least no preacher who wants to keep his job. We just don't preach from Numbers. And it is describing events in about 1500 BC, 3,500 years ago, And what has just happened is that Moses, you know, Charlton Heston, he has led the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt through the parted Red Sea. And now they are in this seemingly endless series of wandering and waiting and wandering and waiting. They're headed to the promised land. Okay, that's why it's the promise of Christmas. They're headed to the promised land. But this, with all this wandering and all this waiting, this is a promise very much delayed, people. And it's so interesting, as Moses leads this ginormous collection of the children of Israel, how they respond to not getting what they want when they want. I mean, they want the promised land. They want the milk and that. They want the honey, and they want it now. And look at what they do when they don't get what they want when they want it. Numbers chapter 20 and verses 2 through 5. Now, there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition— The people, hang on, okay. The people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron and they quarreled with Moses and they said, if only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring us, bring the Lord's community into this wilderness that we and our livestock should die here? I mean, it's one thing when people die, it's really a crisis when livestock die. Verse five, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs or grapevines or pomegranates. I've always said, if you move to a place and there's no pomegranates there, don't stay. I mean, that's a, that's a deal breaker right there. And there is no water to drink. I just love this. We're miserable, Moses, and it's your fault. We're hot, tired, hungry, pomegranate starved, and we are blaming you. This is an incredible scene that the author of Numbers paints, and and this scene puts into vivid relief something that I've thought but didn't really have words for until just the last couple of weeks, and it's this, that when we don't get what we want, when we want it, we look for someone to blame. When we don't get what we want, when we want it, we look for someone to blame. When we are stuck in that gap between promise made and promise delivered, and that gap takes some patience, we immediately look for someone to blame that we are not having instantaneous gratification. I mean, this is so common, is it not? And Moses, 
Moses is one of the first to experience it because the people are saying to, to him, we're unhappy, but we're blaming you for our misery. And so interesting, Moses is one of the first ones to suffer through it. But man, some things don't change, do they? Some things don't change that when we don't get what we want, when we want it, man, we are looking for someone to blame for our own unhappiness. I mean, think about it. In school, you fail a class. It's the teacher's fault. At work, you're not getting along. You get a pink slip. That boss never understood me. In sports, you have failure in sports. It's the coach's fault. Maybe more, it's the equipment's fault. I am failing at my sport because of the equipment that I have been given. Now this, this I know from experience. <laughs> so, so, some, some of you, if you've been here a while, if you're brand new, you don't know, but if you've been here a while, I grew up playing tennis. I played tennis as a kid and as a teenager and as a collegian and even a tiny little bit as a professional. And so I brought with me some of my axes today, some of the rackets that I used. And, and it all started when I was like eight years old. It started out with this classic racket. It's called a Jack Kramer autograph, and it's such a good racket. And I love that racket as an eight-year-old, and I loved it until, until I broke it by throwing it because I lost to a guy named Brad Stoffel. I mean, it just <laughs> folded over like a pancake. So that was it for the Jack Kramer autograph, and I had to switch to this uh, a product from Head because it looked a little cooler. And you couldn't break it as easily if you threw it, because I tried. <laughs> and I was convinced that this cool-looking aluminum racket was going to be the key to beating that guy, Brad Soffel. But guess what happened? I kept losing to Brad Soffel. And it had to be the racket's fault. It could not be my technique. It couldn't be my temperament. It couldn't be anything about me. It was the racket's fault. So I ditched that racket, and I switched to Spalding. I'm 12. I switched to... Spaldings are terrible. <laughs> they don't even make tennis rackets anymore. That's how bad they are. <laughs> but I was convinced that if I switched to Spalding, I would beat Brad Stoffel. And guess what happened with this, with this, with this Spalding? I kept losing to? Yes. Y'all are like, Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Brad Stoffel. Y'all are perfect. <laughs> So this didn't work. I keep losing to that guy. And I, it's obviously, obviously the racket's fault. So I need another Spalding. <laughs> Spaldings are terrible people. And, and but I was convinced I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat him using this particular Spalding. And guess what happened? I kept losing to... So by this time, obviously it is the racket's fault I got to change one more time, and I went back to where it all began. I'm 16, and I changed back to this Wilson Jack Kramer, the same one. Well, not the same one, because I'd folded that over like a pancake, but the, the same racket that I'd started with. And guess what happened, church? I beat Brad Stoffel. Yeah. Because it never had to do with the equipment anyway. It had to do with temperament. It had to do with technique. And through the years, 
through the years as technology changed, eventually I ended up using one of these space age rackets that they have with all these modern sort of materials. But, but it was all, all this, all these, this is a testimony to failure. This is a testimony to blaming other people, other things for things that are actually your fault. If there was a blame game, I aced it. And, it, and at least, at least I learned from the best. At least I learned from these people in the book of Numbers. We're, we're miserable, Moses, and it's your fault. And it's so interesting what Moses does. He's on one side of the blame game. He, he's experiencing what it is like to be blamed for things that really are beyond his control. And yet look at what he does in verses 6 through 11, same chapter, Still Numbers chapter 20, and look at what happens next. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meeting and fell down, a meeting place with God. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord said to Moses, take the staff, your, your wooden staff, your symbol of authority, and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak, circle that word speak if you have your Bible with you. Speak to that rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he had commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock and Moses said to them, listen, you rebels. Circle that. L listen, you rebels. Must we bring you out water out of this rock? And then Moses raised his arm and didn't speak to the rock. He struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. Do you see the subtlety of what happened? That Moses is commanded to speak to the rock. He decides to disobey the command. I'm not going to speak to that rock. I'm going to smash that rock. But look at the prelude to his disobedience. You rebels. What's Moses saying? I'm getting ready to disobey and it is your fault. He's done blamed the blamers. The Bible is so interesting when you actually read it, the authors are such masters of subtlety and intrigue and psychology. And Moses is swept up in this blame game where he blames other people for his own disobedience, even, even before he disobeys. And you might think that, yeah, that's sort of a minor, minor little punishment that Moses, minor little infraction, but that's not what happens. Look at verse 12, the very next verse in the story. But the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron, because you didn't trust me enough to honor me as holy in the, slight, in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the Lord that I, in, into the land that I am going to give them. Because you smashed and didn't speak, Moses, you're, you're not going to get to go into the promise. Your promise delayed is going to turn into a promise denied. And what happens after this scene is this prolonged season, years and years and years of wandering and waiting 
and wandering and waiting in the desert and in the wilderness, this season of back and forth and not getting what they wanted when they wanted, this season of mutual blame, this season that all gets off to this very negative start because Moses blames the rebels for his own disobedience with God. And, and as we ponder and think about the, the lesson that Moses didn't learn, I mean, it's amazing because I want you to skip ahead one book and about 40 years and to the book of Deuteronomy, uh, chapter three and verse 26. And this is the, one of the most marvelous verses in all of scripture, Deuteronomy chapter three, verse 26. Moses is giving his farewell address to the people. And look, look at what he says. But because of you, the Lord was angry with me. And I just, I, I, it is, it's hilarious. I just have to believe that the author of, of Deuteronomy is having this huge smile on his face as he jots down this history. Because of you, the Lord was mad at me. And oh my goodness. The way that we react to the situation of not getting what we want when we want it by looking for someone to blame. We had a little bit of fun with my tennis rackets, but it does get more serious than that, does it not? Because I suspect that there are people within the sound of my voice and you're really unhappy today and you blame your ex for it. Are there other people within the sound of, of my voice and, and you have some deeply self-destructive behavior and you blame your parents for it? Or I suspect that there are people within the sound of my voice and you have some deeply held prejudices and biases and you just thought, well, it's the way I was raised. Or even some of you in this place today, tuning in today, you, you feel kind of helpless with the state of our land. You, you feel powerless in this world and you end up blaming, well, it's the president's fault or it's the previous president's fault or it's the rich men north of Richmond or it's the elites in the ivory towers of Duke and Harvard and Georgetown. It's always someone else's fault. And so I have to believe, Good Shepherd, that when you respond to not getting what you want, when you want it, that, that your response to a delayed promise is, I got to find someone else to blame for my particular misery and unhappiness today. That I have to believe that God has brought you here today. God, God has brought me here today so that the intersection of this message and your life and Moses, because what happens to Moses when, when, when he's given this speech because of you, the Lord's angry with me. You, you know what happens ultimately? You run out of people to blame. Finally, you, bl you, you blame so many people for your current situation. There's no one left to blame. 
And I simply want to circumvent all of that for you. I don't want you to live through all those years that Moses did of waiting and wandering and frustration and blaming other people. I, I want you to get the lesson that it seems at this stage Moses never got. We're, we're looking at him not as role model, copy Moses, no, object lesson. Go and do thou differently. Because here's what I want you to know. Here's, here's the question that I want you to ponder today, Good Shepherd, and it's this. What if the weight is to get you to stop blaming and to start admitting and to begin blessing? That, that's the question that I want you to ask yourself over and over today and this week. What if that, the weight that you're in, what if the, the gap between promise made and promise delivered, what if that is designed, what if God has engineered it into your life to get you to stop blaming other people for stuff that you done did yourself and to begin admitting and ultimately to start Blessing, Because really, really what, what I want to do for the people of Good Shepherd, what I, what I hope, what I've been praying for this message to do is that it would get the people of Good Shepherd out of helpless mode. Because listen, w- when you went through that hard thing, you were powerless. You very much were powerless in it, but you're not helpless after it. Because listen, your ex... They were awful. Your parents, they were terrible. That guy that night, unspeakable. But so many of us have grown so very comfortable accepting, believing our helplessness in those situations And I want you to know, yeah, you might have been powerless in it, but you're never helpless beyond it. And I simply want you to admit all the ways that you have grown comfortable being angry because it's a lot easier to stay angry than it is to do the work that it takes to get through the anger. I want you to admit the ways that you've grown comfortable medicating your feelings and you wake up with a hangover and you blame mom and dad for it, and you've grown comfortable medicating your feelings and actually feeling your feelings, then feeling your feelings can be so very difficult. What if God, what if God has designed the way to get you to stop blaming and start admitting and begin blessing? Because listen, as you, as you admit, you begin this, start this admitting, man, you, you, look at, well, you look at all the situations in your life, the blown job, the torpedoed family, self-destructive behavior, the losses to Brad Stoffel. Well, you look in the mirror and ask, honestly, who is the common denominator in all this stuff? It's not the people you're blaming. It is the person you see in the mirror. It's so much like when our kids were, were little, Julie, my wife, she would, if they got into something, she would always say, that's so true. You have no one to blame but yourself. And they didn't. And, and as we 
as we think about this ad- admitting, you know, I want you to stop blaming and start admitting. And I would never want you just to, to end the whole process by, by admit, okay, this, this is me, I, I, I blew it. Because that, be, that would be like asking you to confess your sins and then saying, well, come back next week and we'll forgive them. No, I wouldn't want you to, oh, or it's like all those screeches that people do online. I don't know if you see this. I don't know if it bothers you the way that it does me, but my least favorite phrase online is when people screech out, do better. And an airline disappoints you, do better. A politician upsets you, do better. Even, even athletes, when they get caught up in something and they, they give their mea culpa, I'm, I'm gonna do better. And every time I think, why in the world would you promise to do better when Jesus has done it all? Why would you always think it's up to your performance, which will never measure up? I don't care how much better you do, it's never gonna be good enough because we're not trusting our goodness, we're trusting his greatness. Why would you get wrapped up in doing better when you can surrender to the one who's done it all. Can I hear an amen for our Jesus today? Yeah, what if the weight is to get you to stop blaming, start admitting and begin, begin, begin blessing? Has it ever occurred to you that if you're raising kids, I know a lot of you are raising kids, has it ever occurred to you that Every ounce of energy that you spend blaming mom and dad or blaming brothers and sisters for the situation you're in now, that's an ounce of energy you're robbing from your own kids. That that every ounce of energy you spend uh, blaming your ex for what you're in now is is an ounce of energy that keeps you from going to a meeting. That every ounce of energy you spend blaming Satan, I mean, come on. Out of all the blame game we play, sort of the creme de la creme, is the devil made me do it. And we say the devil made me do it five minutes before we do that thing. <laughs> it's it's so, so much like that marvelous song that I heard, I, I forgive you for everything I've done. What, dads, dads. When is the last time your daughter heard, when is the last time your daughter heard that blessing of hearing out of your lips that she is your treasure? That other than your Lord and her mom, there's no one and no thing more vital to you. When's the last time she heard that? Moms, when's the last time your kids heard that they are enough? That they can stop fighting for your approval and start living from it? Do you know the difference that involves? Probably more than a few times I heard, yeah, uh, yeah, you're, you're enough as long as. No, 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 no. When was the last time your kids heard they are enough? Bosses! When is the last time your direct reports heard you stop blaming your own boss and begin blessing the ministry leaders? Was that time people in your life group or your ministry area, or if you're tuning in, churches from afar, when is the last time those people under your ministry authority heard your blessing rather than your excuses? What if the weight 
is to get you to stop blaming and to start admitting and begin passing out the blessing. If you, if you find yourself as one of those people who's very quick to blame and you've been like, I cannot believe he's given this message today because I see myself all over it. I want you to ask yourself two questions. We're gonna throw them up on the screen. And the first question is, what is it like to be on the other side of me? How are other people complaining about me in the exact same way I'm complaining about other people? What's it like to be on the other side of me? <laughs> A lot more difficult than you think. Second question. What is a healthier way that I could use this energy and these brain cells that I'm now devoting to blame? What's a healthier way? All this mental energy and all this psychological energy, what's a healthier way I could use it than the way I'm now blaming it? So ask yourselves those questions as you ask yourself this major one. What, what if this weight is to get me to stop blaming and to start admitting and begin blessing. So interesting. We've talked about Moses as object lesson rather than role model, but maybe, just maybe he began to get it. Because if you turn over a few years and a lot of pages to the end of the book of Deuteronomy, as Moses is completing his farewell address to the children of Israel, look at what it says in Deuteronomy 31 and verses 7 through 8, and those are going to be up on the screen. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore their ancestors to give them, and you must divide it among them as their inheritance. I'm not going into the promised land, Joshua. You are. Verse 8, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you, and he will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. And do you know, do you know what Moses is doing in, in those moments? He's blessing the future. He's not blaming the past. He's blessing the future. He's blessing his heir apparent. He's getting out of the blame game and begin to play the much healthier blessing game. And this Joshua, the one who receives his blessing, who is Joshua? He's a conqueror. He's a deliverer. He's a freedom giver. He's a man whose name is in Hebrew is pronounced Yeshua, translated into English, Jesus. You, good shepherd, may feel powerless, but you are never, not for a moment, helpless. Because our Jesus is conqueror, deliverer, and freedom giver. What if your weight? It's designed to get you to stop blaming, start admitting, and begin blessing as you have been blessed. Let's pray. So, Father, those are heavy words and heavy truths, and I pray they would settle deeply into the lives and hearts and spirits of everyone within the sound of my voice, people who've been victims 
and people who've been villains and people who've been a little bit of both. You would liberate us from the unhealthiness of blaming others for what we find ourselves in. In the strong and saving name of Jesus, whose way we want to follow today, we pray. Amen.